Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. i just got to say, I'm excited about the new series. I, this is really an introduction. The, the title is starting out. But we are literally starting. You know, you can start new things at any time in your life. Um, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. But uh, you can start stuff. You could start something today in your life. Um, you may have been a, a follower of Jesus for years. You may be brand new to faith. Or you may not have even really given your life to Jesus Christ yet and made him Lord of your life. But you can change something today. We can change something today as a church. And this whole thing of synergy is a great, great topic because uh, we're going to well, run it through the summer and run it just into the start of the autumn. And then we've got a, a bunch of great speakers coming in as well during the autumn term, uh, autumn series, a couple of series through the autumn time. But synergy is a brilliant, brilliant topic. And, and I just love the fact that God is changing people's lives. I mean, to be at a wedding, I just said to Liz, was it Antonelli's wedding last Saturday? Yeah. Just amazing how much is happening in the life of the church. And Joe, good to see you back. I, I realise your wife's not with you this morning. You're already getting into married life. And just back from that honeymoon, by the way. <laughs> She's working. I know that, Joe. So. Um, but, uh, you know, synergy is fantastic. And this church is full of lots of diversity and people of very interesting uh, backgrounds and, and cultures. And we'll get on to that shortly. But why synergy? Why synergy? Well, uh, in this series, we want to explore deliberately three things. We want to explore who we are and where are we as individuals. Uh, you know, the previous series we just finished, Daring to Grow, and um, the ones we've done beforehand have all been, uh, in the last year or so, have been series around uh, discovering what God is, is, is growing you into or growing us into as a church. It's um, Daring to Grow is based on our values, our daring values, D-A-R-I-N-G, and what it means to grow. And of course, the church is growing here. Um, but I, I really felt we should look at this topic of synergy because I feel that um, while we grow, we have to, to grow together well. We have to grow together well. You know, the church has got a terribly bad reputation down the decades and centuries, uh, really because of its leadership. It's the leaders of churches. It's not, it's not God himself. It's the, the way humanity is messed up and used and exploited what God has created as church. But we have got the opportunity, and I don't know if you've ever really thought about this, we've got the opportunity to be part of the most amazing group of people in the world. And in fact, you are. You may, at times you may feel that you're not, but you are. Um, God has created the church. He created the, not BCC, but his church. He's created it. It's, he's called us out from various nations and tribes and languages, cultures, backgrounds. He's rescued almost everybody in this room, by the way. Every one of you, if you were to think about where you'd be today if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, would be probably, many of you would probably not be alive and some of you would be in the right mess right now. Um, but God is changing you and he's changing me. Um, but this whole thing of synergy is, it talks about who we are and where am I? Where am I in this journey that God is preparing for us? What's happening in my relationships? What's, where am I? Who am I? What's happening in my relationships? And what's God doing in me spiritually? These three factors we'll be unpacking and, and the team we're going to be sharing the preaching responsibilities across the summer. We'll be, the whole team will be supporting two services right across the summer. I'm so excited about it. You know, invite your friends. Invite, 
If you're, if you're not away, invite someone to come with you to church. This is a great opportunity. We're going to help people to see that church is an amazing place. And to do that, we're going to tread through some scriptures in the Old Testament. We've just been through a whole chunk of New Testament over 17 weeks. And we're going to dip back into the Old Testament to have a framework around the life of Joseph uh, to discuss his life, but use that as an excuse to reflect on ourselves. Why are we doing that? Because this church, as it's growing, the relational components, the who I am component and the spiritual growth component, they're all three very important factors in in what we're going to be like. If we are strong as we grow, then nothing will stop you. In fact, you'll be It'll be amazing. Your, your, your encounters, your opportunities, your, your, you know, people are coming up to me regularly. I had someone just before the service just talk to me about how financially blessed they are, Kevin, this morning, with a big <laughs> smile on his face. And, uh, you know, I love the fact that in the prayer meeting on Wednesday, by the way, there's no more prayer meetings during the summer Wednesdays. We just finished our last one. Great attendance on Wednesday. But, um, you know, to hear about Graham Ashby's dad, who the, the doctors now at King's, they're, they're re-diagnosing his condition because they can't find it. Uh, we prayed for him. He had cancer. He was, you know, he basically says goodbyes to his family. And within two days of us all getting our heads together in prayer, he was doing the garden. And nobody, the doctors didn't even recognize him. They, and uh, so they're, they're convinced there must have been something else wrong. But anyway, uh, they've done scans and can't find evidence of what they had diagnosed him as before. So things are happening in the life of the church. The kingdom is an amazing place. And uh, we've really got to, to leverage what God is doing because what God is doing is he's bringing weird people together. That's you lot. Uh, and, uh, with ordinary people like me. <laughs> he's bringing the, the weird ones, all of us, together. But actually capable people. There are some very smart people in this room. You've got doctors, lawyers, accountants. You've got craftsmen, uh, musicians, uh, creative people, technical people, hard-working, hard-grafting people, great mums, great dads. You've got a whole mix of incredible capacity in this church. And God's brought you here for a reason. It's not just to be entertained and to feel good that you met God on Sunday morning. It's to actually build something, to grow into something, and to discover that actually there's a synergy in the church that God has always put in place. He's put it there. But I think humanity and leadership has done a great job of removing God's synergy from, from the church. So let me just have a look at a little quote. Synergy is the creation of a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. Now, God, God is instrumental in this word synergy. God is the creator who created the potential for synergy, the creation of a whole that is greater than the sum of his parts. The trouble is, as Christians, you can think, I'll do it my way, I'll go and do my thing, I'll live my life in my own way, I'll, um, I'll crack on and I'll worship God, I'll love God, I'll pray, and that's the end of the story. It's not. You are a piece in a much bigger piece of God's plan for this whole earth and his creation. You are part of a very, very big picture, a global picture. And, um, and even though you have the right to have time to yourself, God didn't bring you to faith and bring you into his kingdom so you could be independent and isolated. He brought you in so that you could function effectively with the rest of his body, the body of Christ, the body of Jesus Christ. In fact, it says Jesus gave his life up for us, for that body, so that we could know him in its fullness. But synergy is a creation of a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. You will never be greater outside of God's plan for the church on your own than you would be being in it. Now, some of you will have had bad experiences and say, well, actually, that's not my experience. Being in church has actually done me a lot of damage. Or being in, in connection with some Christians has done me damage. Well, let me say, then, 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 that's the reason you're here. 
you need to address that. We need to address it. That's why we're looking at who I am and where I am. What is the relational context that I'm in? And then the third point is how is God building me spiritually? You can't do it on your own. God has drawn us together for purpose. And synergy transforms the ordinary. Um, You want to have a great friendship, a great marriage. It's synergy. As the two come together and they multiply in terms of their capacity, uh, they, they carry more. We need to be prepared for change personally, relationally and spiritually. We need to be prepared for it. Having said that, my wife and I, we've got a great relationship. Uh, my wife said to me, uh, she doesn't want me to change. She loves me just the way I am. <laughs> Isn't that right, Liz? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. She wants me just the way I am. Obedient. <laughs> Now, she's not in the second service because she's. <laughs> but church has the incredible potential for us to be more productive as a result of our unity. Do you get that? The plan of God is that the church, and you in particular, will be far more productive because you're part of his body. If you are outside of his body, then you will not achieve and, and produce and perform and be able to experience what you think you can. It's in his body, it's a synergy thing. It's a, there's a spiritual law of synergy. Now, you know this verse I'm about to show, probably as, as well as anybody, but it's Romans 8.28. But look at how it's made up. Um, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. Right, the work together word is the Greek, those two words we use in English, work together, is the Greek word that really means synergy. And there's only five New Testament occurrences of that word synergy. But look at this. This is in, right in the heart of one of the most doctrinally strong parts of the Bible in Romans. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. And what's God's purpose? To be joined together as the body of Christ. That's his purpose. So it's, um, that working together is a plan and so uh, this, this first starting out message, this starting message, is to really create an introduction um, and to look at this law of synergy. Um, it's not that what happens is always good to you. It's not that everything you do will be good. And it's not that th- this verse is not saying that, that all the stuff that's happened to you has been good stuff. It's not saying that. It's not saying that every cloud has got a silver lining. It's not saying that either. No, what it's saying is that God combines each event in our lives together and everything else, he combines it and all the experiences we've had and causes the overall result to benefit you. It's not that everything you've done has been great. It's not that everything you do, if you do stuff that's bad, is going to suddenly be good. What it says is that God will take every experience you've had He'll blend it with your past, your present, your future. He'll change you. He'll give you understanding of the stuff that's not good. He'll bring you into an understanding of what can be better. He'll give you, in, and he'll give you spiritual lessons and insights in, in the ways in which the stuff that's gone wrong could have been avoided. And so you learn. It, God is the one who teaches us and guides us and, and trains us. And together, we discover that there's a synergy in his body, in his kingdom, that we discover with each other. What an amazing thing. The Greek word synergeo, it combines various elements, but what it does more than anything else is produce compound growth. Compound growth. If you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that some of the 
the blessings and curse scriptures talk about if you do this, it'll be multiplied to the next generation. To the next. God's interested in compound growth. It's a bit like your pension. It's a bit like your savings plan. As the money grows and multiplies, it becomes compounded. And God's plan is that together we see compound growth in our lives and as a group of people. We see the compounding effect of what God is doing. Matthew 18:20 again a known verse for where two or three are gathered together as my followers I am there among them. I'm there among them. It's suggesting unity, not just a gathering. It's not just we come together, we do a song or two, we listen to a preacher, we go home. This is we get knitted together. We we get involved. We we draw, we draw out of one another. We challenge one another. We, we motivate one another. We question one another. We, we do the healthy stuff. We be accountable together. We, we recognise that the Holy Spirit is in each one of us. And therefore, if there's one Spirit, then God's, if He's one God and His Spirit is in us, then surely your perception of spiritual truth should be married up by somebody else in this same body. There should be some form of agreement in there. If there's not, it suggests there could be difficulties. If there's not, we've got to go back and examine. So we're going to look in this series about, uh, look around the life of um, uh, Joseph. And of course, you know Joseph, and you know of him from the, the musical, famous musical. I thought we were going to do that in the offering. Did we do it? Or oh, we didn't do it. We were going to do it. What was the song? You Know Better Than I, which I can't remember, but I, I'm persuaded it's in the musical. Maybe we'll do that sometime during the, the summer. But, but God knows better than us, doesn't he? For that's for sure. But the back story on Joseph is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <coughs> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, the father of faith. He's the father of faith in the Christian world, the Jewish world, the Muslim world. He's recognised. He's in all those scriptures. Um, various scriptures are distorted in parts of life, but in terms of our Christian faith, we recognise that Abraham is the father of faith. Isaac, his son, and Jacob, who was a deceiver, and the one who had a twin brother. And he grabbed his, he was second born, and, and he grabbed the heel of his twin brother. And there's this tension in their lives as a result uh, of his, his, his desires. He was actually sort of a deceiver. He was, he was a schemer, uh, Jacob. Well, Jacob was the father of Joseph. And we got this. And Joseph was one of a number of brothers, twelve brothers, and at least one sister, if not more. Now Jacob, Jacob um, had two wives, and he had relationship with two other women that were part of his household. And all these sons and daughters were born. We only know of one daughter listed in the Bible, but he had at least one. But um, what I'm excited about today is that Abraham is the father. Is called the father of nations, father of nations of many nations, and. Uh, and God said to Abraham, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abraham. Instead, you'll be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. God loves the nations. God is into joining peoples together. He's not into separation. God wants people to be joined together. And we've been through a tough time in Europe, or in Europe, or in the UK, through the, the, all, all the referendum and the European Brexit decision. Now, I think in the end, it's going to work out okay. I'm, a real, I'm positive about it, because I think God is navigating you know, it's reported that we have a Christian prime minister now. Um, she has active faith. Uh, her family have a, a Christian heritage, um, a straight talker. Other countries are watching us and wondering why we haven't gone down the pan yet, and uh, so to speak. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? There's, uh, there's, un- there's turbulence around the world. Um, there's a huge rise of nationalism across, the, you know, they're saying in Europe now that the highest levels of nationalism. Um, since the 30s, which was a preemptive run up to the first, well, Second World War. So there's a lot of 
tension in societies in various countries. But God is for the nations. And God cares about the nations. God knows that every tribe and tongue and language will be represented in heaven. I'm telling you, when we, when we go to heaven and we, we meet with Jesus Christ in the new heaven, new earth, there'll be hosts of multiple colours and characters and nationalities. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. The richness of God's creation will be on display. His incredible wisdom. But today is also a day we're going to recognise that we are for unitedness. We're into coming together. And so we did a little bit of research over the previous two weeks. And today we are going to celebrate 38 nations in BCC. Did you know that? This church has got 38 different nationalities and not a single Australian in it. (laughs) I don't know how that's possible because we normally do have Australians in our church. But we have... Uh, seven countries representing the Americas, which is seven, 7% of our people. We have 11 countries from Asia and the Far East, 12% of, of you guys. Um, the African, we have 10 countries represented in our church on a regular basis. 37% of our churches has got African heritage. And on, on the European side, 10 countries are represented in our, in our church, 44% of the That's a brilliant, that is absolutely Fantastic! Why don't you just clap or something? I love, I love the fact that we are going to celebrate that. You know, we would be worse. Imagine if we took the European countries out of BCC. Now, I know we'd have a lot of Brits here, but supposing we did. Supposing we just decided to take Africa out. <laughs> this church would be so dull. It would be so boring here. We'd lose all that jollof rice. <laughs> All those amazing main courses. Supposing the Far East and Asia were taken out. God, some of my favourite food in the whole world would have just left our church. I think I would want to go with them. <laughs> but isn't it amazing? And what's more amazing is that we translate to a number of languages on a regular basis on Sunday mornings, first and second service. We've been translating into Mandarin, I guess. It's Mandarin Chinese. We've been translating into to French, uh, Portuguese. I'm running out of ideas now. Oh, and Spanish. See. Si. Italian. Okay, that's where my language skills start. <laughs> but isn't it brilliant? Now, God wants to celebrate the nations as well, and we do. And we're not into, you know, we, we love our country, we love Britain, we love the freedom that we have here, and so we don't want to lose that. We're, but we're, neither are we out, out to remove from our nation. We're here to celebrate what God has brought in. And, you know, we can reach the nations with the nations here. So as we unpack uh, Genesis and look at the life of Joseph, I'm just going to dive into Genesis 37. This is the first real discussion of who Joseph is. And I'd rather than read the whole chapter because there's lots of scripture. I'm just going to pull out the first few verses as we go. And I'm going to look at certain things. You may or may not know that Joseph um, was one of uh, Jacob's sons. He was not the youngest. Benjamin was the youngest. He was the next youngest. And um, he was one of the, the children to one of four women that uh, Jacob had friendship with. And, um, and he was, especially in his own right, you know, we know the, the end of the story is he becomes prime minister of Egypt. And he becomes the most, really the most powerful man outside, except for Pharaoh in, the, in, in that part of North Africa um, in history at, at his point in time. And God raises up a young guy, but he makes a lot of mistakes. So as we explore this thing of what is it, who are we and where are we personally it takes me to my first point, and that is what's inside us? What's inside us? And uh, my clicker is not working. So, oh, there we go. What's inside us? So we'll just read 
from verse 1. So Jacob, by now, by the way, he's 90. He goes into Canaan. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan. So they've been walking around. His family, he's been a wealthy guy. He's a business guy. He's got masses of herds and flocks and things. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. I'm going to jump forward. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. So we're starting to pick up a personality here. Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. In fact, he was around the age of 74 when Joseph was born. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. And of course, that is the whole storyline behind the Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat musical that has been so famous for years. Uh, it isn't a made-up story. It's come out of the Bible, if you didn't know. Um, but if we're looking at what's inside, what makes up people, what's going on inside Joseph at this point? He's a young guy. He's just starting out the title for this morning's message. And he was making masses of mistakes. He was making mistakes big time. He was making mistakes in how he talked to his brothers, how he related to his father. Uh, you know, if these are the ones we know about, what other mistakes was he making? I suggest that he was, um, we know he was shown favoritism. Um, his father obviously loved him a lot, but his father let it be known that he loved Joseph more than the others. Now, that is a terrible situation. We can learn from that. Don't do that, parents. Make one child more loved than the other. You will create enormous damage for your families. Um, but also there's an indication here that because of this bond between Jacob and Joseph, that uh, Joseph was trusted more than the brothers, the other brothers, which suggested that Jacob didn't trust the other brothers. See what's going on here. As soon as you start to unpack it a little bit, you realise that, that while we've got this nice musical, this thing of trust is, is creeping in. Where was the trust in the family? It was broken trust. Um, and what did Joseph do? He responded to that extra trust by, by uh, being consumed by his father's pleasure. So in other words, he encouraged his father. He, he was not mature enough to push back a little bit and say, look, don't, don't spoil me. Don't, don't make my life better than my brother's. Because he, he was a young guy. He was a young man, 17-year-old. The world was his. You know, he's the young, one, not the youngest, but almost the youngest in his family. He's spoiled, basically, by his dad. And um, he's got privileges because of that relationship with his dad. So it makes him a little bit proud. I think it makes him arrogant. And, and that's a pattern. Now, we've got to be very careful because young people are not just young in age. They're young in their spiritual faith. There, there's a, there can be a ma- mapping in this. That there can be, when you're young in faith, you suddenly discover everything. But actually... Or you discover a lot of things, not everything. You discover lots of truths and you start to live as though you know everything. And this is where we've got to be careful. And you may be a product today as an older person having got things terribly wrong as a young Christian. You might be. You might have made some colossal mistakes relationally as a young person despite being a Christian. You may have given your life to Christ. I gave my life to Christ at the age of 17, exactly the same age. Um, but you might be living in the consequences of, of bad relational situations. In fact, a bit like Jacob, who was effectively a bit of a deceiver, 
and manipulated situations to get the birthright from his brother Esau, his twin brother, and to take the blessing off his father. Uh, he carried that into that, that family of the 12 sons. He carried it into that. And so, in a sense, he didn't even notice what he was doing to Joseph. He didn't even know, he didn't really clock it. He was allowing Joseph to start to manifest some of the things that Jacob had done himself when he was younger. He's, he's carrying it through. He's not even noticing it. So this applies not just to young believers or young people, but actually it applies to us as adults. We can bring in from our history a pattern of behavior that has to change. Otherwise, we're going to cause problems for not only ourselves, but those around us. That's the context of this, the starting out. And so what happened was that Joseph had an immature character. His father was not maturing Joseph properly because the father was bringing in his old behaviours, his old kind of things about himself. And there may be things in your life that you are doing, old behaviours that you're bringing in, might be damaging your, your, your partner, your husband, your wife, your, your family, your friendships. And actually what you're doing is you're not maturing properly. You're not allowing them to mature you're not mature yourself even in that sense in terms of relational stuff. Um, he definitely wasn't wise. He definitely was short-sighted. J- Joseph was li- living for his day-by-day moment. He was living for that. And, uh, and he wasn't really too bothered about anything else. We, we can infer all this from the, the... How do we know? Because of the language we pick up from the text. He was telling on his brothers. You know, you might use the expression snitching. He was... He was, he was it might be true... But he's telling tales on his brothers to, to win favour with his dad. That is not a smart thing to do. That is not how to win friends and influence people. Um, we shouldn't ignore, ignore what people do. There's a right way of tackling things that are wrong. So this is valuable from a church perspective. Don't go snitching on other people in church life. Don't go running to me and talking to me about... Now, obviously, we want to protect the church. But it's better to be mature as a church and to go deal with situations. Um, to personally take responsibility for what you see. Don't, don't just go talking about something that you think is not quite right. Go test it. Check it. Have a relationship with God that helps you to check whether what you're seeing is the right thing. Otherwise, we just become immature. We demonstrate characteristics of immaturity if all we do is, is kind of be the inter- interface, the, the in-between person bringing the bad news about somebody else. It's not a good thing. James 3 Verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. There's eight things here in my bright Kermit Green highlighter. Um, But the wisdom from above is first pure. You know, quite often worldly wisdom is all about how can you be super smart and get the one over on somebody else. That is not smart. If you look at what godly wisdom is about, it's pure. It has pure motives. What it, so if you want to check your motives when you're in conversation in relationship, are your motives pure or have you got an agenda? Is your goal to bring peace to a situation or to get the final say in a situation because you know better? Are you argumentative or are you gentle? Because if you're right and you've got God's wisdom in you, you don't need to shout about it. You don't need to argue about it. You just are right. <laughs> All right? That's how God made it to be. And you're open to reason because as, as much as you know stuff, you don't know everything. Um, and therefore being open to reason is important. I'm very collaborative with our staff and our teams. We collaborate all the time. In fact, the idea for doing Joseph came from Vlad. We were talking about it a little while back and, and I was saying, this is what I want to do. And he said, why don't, we, 
Why don't we build it around the life of Joseph for this series? And so opening to reason and to thinking about ways of doing things is full of mercy. So in other words, when you've got the right to get one over on somebody, actually you're choosing to show them mercy. You're not rubbing their nose in a situation. And there's good fruits. In other words, something is produced from it that is good. If you've got real good wisdom from God, it will produce something. It will change the situation and it will be a good thing. It will be impartial and it will be genuinely sincere. That's God's wisdom. Other stuff that is, I got it, I was right, I, I won, isn't always wisdom. That's sometimes a lot of other things. That's the stuff that Jacob understood very, very well. So, um, interesting days, isn't it? Um, so, what are the signs that we lack maturity? I think it's when our wisdom doesn't follow this pattern. If, we, if you want to know whether you're mature in your wisdom, check yourself against this list. Take this list, stick it on your fridge, put it on your desktop, put it somewhere. And, and next time you're in a situation where you want to know if you've got wisdom, check it against that list. That will help you to know whether you're... If, you, if your wisdom gets its source from scripture like this, then you'll be becoming mature as a person. Otherwise, you're just like everybody else, really. So, uh, wisdom from above. Plato said about self-leadership, for a man to conquer himself is the first and noblest of all victories. It's the big battle. Your, life, your biggest battle in life is yourself. You realise that, don't you? It's not somebody else. It is you. Your, your, biggest, your, your longest fight, your most expensive fight, the most fatalities will always be you. It'll be your life. It's yours. And so we, that's why the, the scriptures are so important to us because they help us to learn quicker, faster, and to, to get good decisions. You know, when I was... Um, I worked in the corporate world in my early days when I was starting out. I had strong Christian faith. Um, I would pray regularly. And lo and behold, a young guy came and worked in the team that he was supposed to support the team I was leading. Um, I would have only been in my mid-twenties at this point. And this guy had a public school education. His father was a multimillionaire. He ran companies internationally. His, they lived in the States. Super, super wealthy. Had, in fact, he didn't need to work, really. He could have just sat back. And he knew it. And so this young guy... Um, was arrogant. He, he was arrogant. And, and everybody could see it. Uh, you, you like it when someone's confident. I love to see a confident person, but I don't like arrogance. I don't like arrogance when you know that it's underpinned by something that you never achieved. It was somebody else's success. That's even worse. It's, like the, it's such a bitter thing to encounter. It used to really bother me a lot because it, he'd come up with ideas, he'd, 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 he'd be very assertive, he'd put people down... And I thought, I really don't like you as a person. And I, I thought, well, I owe it to him to tell him <laughs> in the nicest possible way, or to, at least to try and coach him a little bit about just being careful with people. And so he did, but he just didn't seem to get it. And then one day, I prayed about it a lot, actually. And one day, he didn't turn up at work, and then he didn't turn up the next day, and then he didn't turn up for the whole week. And uh, it turned out he'd been in a very serious car accident. In fact, he'd almost been killed. And we just didn't see him for months and months and months. And uh, he was a tall, good-looking guy. But he did eventually come back to work about nine months later. And amazing. But he's, he changed. He totally, totally changed. He physically looked different, had a scar down the side of his face, uh, was walking with, his, with a limp now, actually, um, some paralysis in parts of his body. He was very lucky to be alive, this guy. And it changed him. It totally changed him. It's amazing when something like that happens. But what we don't want is something like that to happen in our life to force us to relook at who we are. And I, I just made me think that the change, and in fact, we became incredibly good friends 
and I try to support him in many ways. But So that's the first thing. What's going on inside? Where are we? What are we doing in relationships? Uh, sorry, in, uh, inside who we are. Second one is uh, our relationship conditions. Are they broken? Are they things we can learn from? Well, in, in Joseph's case, there was clearly damage done. Um, it says in verse 4, his brothers hated Joseph. That's a good line. <laughs> his brothers hated Joseph. How could he not notice what was going on? Because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more than ever. I mean, that is, he's messing up, isn't he? This guy is getting this relationship messed up. Double hatred. And, uh, but his father, Jacob, must have known that his brothers didn't like him. He must have known it. It says because of the way they spoke. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Their language was betraying what's going on inside their hearts. It was a broken... But the dad, so a couple of lessons here. The father should have done something. Jacob should have got in. But he knew because in his history, his brother Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. There was a repetitive thing. That was in Genesis 27, 41. So Jacob was carrying this hatred in his own life from his own brother, his twin brother, and he was allowing it to happen in his own family now. He wasn't dealing with it. So um, those of you in this church, we need to be careful. What dangerous pattern have you got in your past that you could bring into your current relationships? Now Joseph knew his brothers resented him. They were critical of him. Despite this, he, he instantly shared his dreams. Now, he knew they hated him, right? And then he decides to share a supernatural dream. And you know what's in the dream, don't you? Listen to this dream, he said. Hey, guys, you guys that hate me, listen to this dream. We were out in the field trying, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundles stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before me. That's how to win friends even more. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and, and the way he talked about them. Three times in five verses, we're getting the message. They didn't like him. They hated him. They hated him and it, they were, it was coming through. He just didn't get the message. And there are, you know, for us in relationship, we've got to see and understand what's going on in our relationships. In church life, in your family life, you've got to take stock of what's going on. Don't ignore what you see. If something is causing damage, you need to look at it and understand why and get to the bottom of it. Um, Genesis 9 verse 10. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again he told his his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well. As his brothers, but his father scolded him. Now I'm not surprised. Um, it's a mistake to make that. So how can we strengthen our relationships? How can we do it? And how can we... I think we start by loving impartially and consistently. We, we start to love people. You can't, you, can't, you can't improve relationships through any other agenda but by loving people. Love impartially. Don't use someone else to report on the failings of others. Um, I've heard Christian leaders in the past you know, have informants in the life of the church to tell on other members of the congregation... It's unbelievably dangerous to do that. It's a bad thing to do. It's not healthy in churches. Don't use someone else to report on the failing of others. And your family, don't go around asking other people to tell you about what's happening in your family or your friends. If you're doing that, your relationship's kaput, I've got to tell you. The third thing, if you start feeling critical about someone, don't discuss issues with other people. 
really try and get to the person and handle it with some care. And if you can't do it on your own and you need to have someone with you, then, then do it in the right way. Okay, don't worry about that. Um, don't become negative. Talk to them. Try to understand what's really happening. Try and understand. Understanding. This is where you need wisdom. Wisdom will give you understanding. Wisdom and understanding. It's a key point. It'll help us strengthen our relationship. It'll help strengthen this church. And maybe you're in here today and you don't really come to this church. Maybe you've been in a situation where, where your life has, has got challenges and you're just frustrated by it. Let me tell you, this church is brilliant. We have got a great and healthy group of people. You'll, you'll see it later if you're going to stay for the meal, the feast this afternoon. I'm looking forward to that. Um, let me tell you a story. There was a large organisation that recently hired several cannibals. Yeah, you heard that right, cannibals. <laughs> because of their specific skills. Hmm, wonder what they could be. After a length of time, the hiring proce- in the hiring process, the HR manager congratulated the cannibals and said, you are all part of my team now. Uh, you get all the benefits we've discussed and you can enjoy your, our company cafe free of charge. But please don't eat any of the other employees. Each of the cannibals promised they wouldn't. After a few weeks, a can, the cannibal's boss seemed very pleased, but also a little worried. She said, we're all working very hard and I'm satisfied with you. However, one of our secretaries has disappeared. <laughs> Do any of you know what happened to her? The cannibals all shook their heads and said no. After the boss had left, the leader of the cannibals was a bit angry and said, okay, which one of you dummies ate the secretary? A hand rose hesitantly in admission. You fool, said the leader. For weeks we've been eating the managers and no one noticed anything. But no, you had to go and eat someone important. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Who are the important people? The people with the most influence. (laughs) That's not a true story, by the way. Just in case. Some of you sometimes... That was was a bit of a funny one. (laughs) But, um, But who are the most important people? The people with the most influence. That if you are influential, and you don't have to have the final say, you just have to be influential. You have to be influential. And so, in relationship, you've got the opportunity to influence healthily. And finally, the spiritual journey. Joseph was in a discovery time. Genesis thirty-seven eleven says something very telling. But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his fathers wondered <laughs> what the dreams meant. That's kind of interesting, because actually we just read that they already knew what the dreams meant. They already knew. They already knew what the dreams meant. The, the brothers already knew it. They said, do you think we're going to bow down to you? The father, they already, it was obvious what the dreams meant. What they couldn't do is process. That's what you couldn't do. They couldn't process how on earth what Joseph was seeing was going to become a reality or, or, or at all. They just, is it just a, a fantasy of this young man? But we know that the father and the brothers had already accurately understood the dreams. They'd understood it. We, we also have the benefit because we know that the dreams are from God. We know that because it's what happened. They were prophetic. And what we need to see here is that God is using an unpolished youth, the age of 17, to demonstrate his prophetic future. And we don't always like it. We don't always like it. And in his family, they didn't like it. He was unpolished in how he communicated it. There will be young people, there will be new believers in this church that start to see things that God is doing. And they will tell us what it is, and you may not like it. What are we going to do? We need to give space for for the growth in someone's journey. Um, 
they didn't understand God's plan, but they sensed probably that there was something in all this. And then as a result of the dreams, we know, and we're not going to read the verses 14 to 17, that the father sent him um, to help his brothers uh, while they were out with the sheep and the goats and, and the animals. Uh, but we discover something else, that God was not only giving Joseph dreams, he was also navigating his life already. Because in that scripture, 14 to 17, which is not on screen, but you can look it up, you'll find that there's an, a mysterious unnamed man suddenly pops up in the story. And the fa- his father has sent him to Shechem to find the brothers. He can't find him. He's wandering around the hillside and he r- bumps into another a man, an old man. And the old man says, I've overheard them. They've gone to Dothan. And so this may be lost uh, if you read it and you think, oh, that's just a, just a piece of the, the story. It's a key part of the story because it led directly to Joseph being taken captive and being sold. In fact, they were going to kill him. They decided to kill him, but in the end they sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. You can read the story yourself. Um, Challenging, isn't it? But God was navigating Joseph into his destiny, and sometimes God will navigate, and you won't like the path you're taking. But God allows certain things to happen so that we can be developed in our character and our relationships and our spirituality. He will do it. You may not like it, but God is going to allow the journey to happen. Why will he allow it? Because he's going to be with you and he needs you to know that he's with you. That's the thing. If we say, hang on, I had a bad experience, therefore I'm chucking out this faith thing. I had a bad experience, I'm not going to church again. I had a bad experience because I got let down by a leader. You know, you're not the first person in the world to have to go through a hard time. And actually, you've got to re-look at yourself because there's threads of immaturity in that response. Because what happens is God says, well, hang on a second. You, I'm doing this. I'm allowing that situation to draw you into closer relationship with me. Why? Because the spiritual potential that's in you is way bigger than you even understand right now. And that's what happened to Joseph. And that's the same for people in this church, that he was sold into slavery, but God already knew what he was doing in his life. You know that. And there are people here that you've, you've stopped your spiritual growth because of a situation that went wrong. And you've got to undo that. And you can do that in one-on-one with, with your relationship with God, but you can also do it in fellowship in this church. This is a place for restoration and healing. You know, New York Times, I was reading, May this year, the Walk Free Foundation identified modern slavery research. And they said that there are 45 million people in slavery in the world there are 4.3% of the North Korean population per head is in slavery. That is huge. That's a huge percentage. Did you know India is the highest population of slaves in the world? 18 million people in slavery in India. Half the population of the modern slaves um, live in five countries. There's a justice issue in this world. What could have gone wrong with, with Joseph? If God wasn't with him, what could have happened in his life anything could have happened anything I, I saw her on TV on Saturday morning I was I just came up on the BBC uh, about um, a charity in the UK and they said this could be upsetting and they, they showed this story of a woman from Nigeria northwestern Nigeria whose family were very poor and she was sold as a young girl um, to somebody else and had nothing uh, obviously she ended up into prostitution because she was manipulated I mean what could have gone wrong in Joseph's life but she was Involved and, and just for 20 years. And then she was doing that and told what she was completely controlled and manipulated in all her life. And then she was brought to the UK and lived in the UK for 10 years as a slave in a house in the UK. 
Uh, and I, I just, you know how when you see these stories, it's absolutely shocking. But, you know, they're horrendous stories and they're shocking stories. But slavery can be way worse than we even read in the Joseph story. But what could happen? Sometimes we are slaves to our own experiences as well. Do you realise that? We are slaves to the things that have gone wrong. And sometimes God needs to work through that. What does it all mean to us at BCC? Well, God is revealing gifting, let me tell you. And we're on a spiritual journey. God has given each of you a gift. And it says in, in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. God has gifted everybody in his kingdom. You are not left out of God's gifting. Let me tell you that. God has given each of you a gift. What is it? Why have we started the Gift Discovery and Purpose course? That We've now done two complete courses and we'll start our third in September or the end around the autumn. Um, and sign up for that, by the way, if you haven't done. It's not about us as leaders saying this is what you are and what you should do. It's for you to discover more about who you are. I take away the, the slavery of your old thoughts and your old mindset. Start to really think, what does this gifting that God is putting in me, what's it all about? You all have it. As soon as you come to faith, God is, God is working his gifting into your life. Do you realise that? In fact, even before you come to faith, you may not even be a professing Christian in this meeting today, and God has already gifted you for a purpose in his kingdom. And you will never know what it is until you get into that synergy of relationship in his body. Adam and team, would you just join me? Um, I think it's an incredible thing. The church is the most amazing group of people for releasing that synergy. And you have got gifting. And pretty much my last slide, this is a, I'm not going to drill into this at all. I'm just going to put it up there. And the guys and the team can pick up on elements of this as we go forward on our spiritual journey. There are all sorts of different kinds of gifting, and, and some of you will know this. There's the motivational gifting about you know, prophetic and predictive. There's serving, there's teaching, there's exhortation, there's giving, there's leading, there's compassion. And it says in the Bible that if you do these things, do them well. How many of us have, have got gifting in some of that area, and actually we're doing nothing with it, we're just maintaining it. We're just doing maintenance with our gift. We're not actually doing it well, we're not taking it to that next level. There is the manifestation gifting. And the Bible talks about nine different forms of manifestation. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, word of faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning spirits, tongues, interpretation. These gifts exist in this church. Have you kind of just kind of put that gift down a little bit, just put it to one side? I think this is a season for us to rediscover gifting properly in the church. What about the apostolic, the the prophetic, the the pastors, the evangelists, the teachers, you know, those, the equipping gifts, the equipping ministries, they're in our church. We have pastors who are not on our team in our church. In fact, he's a pastor. I know he doesn't look like one, but um, praise God, he's in our church. And we've got other pastors sitting in our church, not in our team, but volunteering in the life of our church. Look at this, Astrid with his wife, Emily, and his young son in our church it's brilliant to have you here Astrid and doesn't he play the guitar like a machine gun <laughs> we're going to sing anyway look all I want to do is this morning I want to challenge us into the synergy of what God's promised explore what does this mean for me is there stuff I'm not picking up on I'm going to hand over to the guys we're going to stand we're going to sing a song and we'll go forward from there Adam Adam